Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. For those of you that, that are uh, kind of just tuning in, just joining us, and as a reminder to those that have been with us the whole time, we have been walking through the book of Genesis. So our primary desire as a church is we don't want to preach our opinions. Uh, we just want to open up God's word. And we want to read it, and we want to begin to understand it so that we can learn what is it that God wants? What does it look like when God gets what he wants? What is he revealed to us about him life, humanity, salvation, discipleship. And so we're, we're walking through the book of Genesis. And Genesis uh, is not just the first book of the Bible. It's the foundational book of the Bible. That's a part of five other books that uh, called the Torah uh, that provide a rich foundation for the whole of scriptures. And we've been using this analogy that in Genesis, all the major doctrines of the Bible are found in seed form and the rest of the scriptures begin to grow them for us. And if we look at the first uh, three chapters, we look at the idea of creation. Who made it? How was it made? Uh, What does that mean for us? What what was God's intention for all things? And then we read in Genesis chapter 3 something called the fall, which is where what God made good and righteous and, and, and in harmony, we broke. And that that brokenness has broken everything. It's broken our hearts. It's broken our relationship with God. It's broken our relationship with each other and with the world. And that all of the futility, suffering, hardship, toil, all of it is as a result of the fall. And then we read the next up through chapter 11. and, And here's what we basically see. It just keeps getting worse. It doesn't get better. It just keeps getting worse. Worse, But then when we get to Genesis chapter 12, something changes. And in the, in the book Old Testament Survey, I have the authors if you're interested, but I won't bore you with the author's name. Uh, it says this about the transition from the first 11 chapters into the 12th chapter. And it says this, the call and blessing of Abraham, because this is what happens in, in Genesis chapter 12, We read, God comes to a man named Abraham, and he calls him, and he gives him a promise, and he gives him uh, uh, all of these amazing things. I'm going to bring you to myself. I'm going to create a people out of you. I'm going to bless the whole world. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to protect you. You're going to be a blessing, all this stuff. That moment in Genesis chapter 12, the Old Testament survey says this, the call and blessing of Abraham represent a radical new development. Here, meaning Genesis 12, God acts in history to begin a series of events that will heal the break that sin has placed between him and his world. God is healing the break that sin has caused between him and his world. This is the larger picture of Scripture. See, we've got to read the Bible as one narrative, as one story. It's not a series of isolated things. It is one story uh, revealed to us from one God and how he is moving to do that. 
He is healing the break that sin has caused between him and his world. And what we see is that God is redeeming a people back to himself. He is reestablishing the earth as his unique dwelling place. And he is going to bring justice on sin, which has broken it all. Just like we want a good cancer doctor to go aggressively at our cancer. I want to root it out. I'm not going to have mercy on your cancer. We have a God that, that cause sin is our cancer, that we all, he, he doesn't have mercy on that. He wants to ruthlessly go after that. That's what he's doing. And so in this context, the call of Abraham comes. And God tells Abram, leave your homeland. Trust in my divine promise that you will become a great nation, that you will inherit your own land that God is going to give him, that you will be a nation that will be blessed, and that through this nation, all nations of the earth will be blessed. But there are a couple things we got to remember and keep in mind that make all of this so remarkable. Number one, Abraham and Sarah were very advanced in age. Very advanced in age. Number two, um, Sarah was unable to have children. Her whole life, she, her womb was closed. And yet, God's promise to them was descendants. It's kind of crazy. The Lord repeatedly confirmed, clarified, and guaranteed this promise. Yet, as we've read, year after year, there was no forward movement, seemingly. Sarah was still barren. Both she and Abraham kept getting older, yet everything promised hinged on an heir. And yet it looks like it's not going to happen. And so we come to this moment where we're like, where is this heir going to come from? The whole thing hinges on an heir. Surely Sarah's not going to be the bearer of this error. Not error, heir. <laughs> Say that five times fast. So here's what we read. They take matters into their own hands. Sarah gives her husband, her servant Hagar, to have a child. Just think about that for a minute. What was dinner like around that conversation? So what we see is that Abraham conceived a son named Ishmael with their servant Hagar. Surely they're thinking this must be the heir that God promised. I guess you know, they had waited in vain. The Lord, he was just waiting for us to take matters into our own hands. But then we read in Genesis chapter 17 that God came to Abraham and God says, all of my promises, they are not going to pass to Ishmael. That was not what I wanted you to do. Instead, he says, Sarah will conceive a child in her old age, and it will be to this child that Sarah conceives that all of my promises will pass from you to him. And he says in Genesis 17, by the way, it'll be about a year from now. So God, see, what we see in this picture is God was not waiting around for Abraham and Sarah to devise a plan on how to have a child. He simply wanted them to trust him to live by faith that he would do all he said he would. God promised them offspring, and he will give them offspring in his time in a way that lets the whole world know that he alone is God. 
So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 21, and we're going to start off, we're going to go to verse 21 today, but we're going to read just the first seven verses and make some comments, and then we'll read the next part of the passage. So Genesis chapter 21, starting at verse 1, and I'm just going to, Ashlyn, I'm just going to read the first seven verses to start. All right, this is the Word of God. It says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. See, God brought life to Sarah's womb. A child of promise. Because only he can heal the break sin has caused. Only God can heal this break that sin has brought to the world. See, we're not strong enough. We're not wise enough. We're not powerful enough to, to overcome the sin of the world, let alone our own sin. Only the God of the universe can do this. And so God blessed Sarah in her old age, despite her lifelong uh, inability to bear children. And he had her bear this son, not just for her joy, although it brought her joy. And he brought a son into the world, not just so that Abraham would have a son, but it would be that through this son, God's plan of mercy and justice for redemption to the world would continue. This is the backdrop. This is the greater narrative that Abraham and Sarah's life fits into. And this is why verses 1 to 7 are so important, because we see this. God was faithful to fulfill his promise. Sarah conceived a son right when, she, when he said she would. Notice how the repetition that's found in 21 verses 1 to 2. It says, the Lord visited, as he said. It says, and the Lord did as he promised. And at the time which God had spoken, we can even go down to verse 6 where Sarah says joyfully, God has made laughter for me. Notice she doesn't say Isaac has made laughter for me. She said God who has given me Isaac gives laughter to me. There's even a statement in there about we should not idolatrize our kids. Our kids aren't Jesus. Give thanks for our children. Worship God. And so, God blessed Sarah. It is important not to let the brevity of these phrases cause us to miss how profound they are. Notice the centrality of God. He came. He opened Sarah's womb. This is what is meant by the Lord visited Sarah. And through the union of Abraham and Sarah, a child was conceived and born to a couple with extreme old age, just as God promised exactly when he said it would happen. 
Isaac's birth is extremely significant. Isn't it awesome we're preaching this passage when we're celebrating your son Isaac's new birth? <laughs> Pretty cool. We didn't plan it that way, by the way. This was planned a long time ago. See, showing God, see, see what happens, and the reason why this is so important is because we've got to remember, this moment shows God's covenant of grace to save his people. He said, I will save my people from their sins, and this is a tangible example that he's going to do that. Despite all the setbacks and obstacles, nothing stopped the Lord fulfilling his promise and mercy moving forward. Despite all the times Abraham and Sarah jacked it up. We just read how last chapter, Abraham sold his wife out and put the promise in jeopardy. Despite all of their unfaithfulness, despite the passage of time, despite their old age, despite all of these things, God still fulfills his promises, which gives us a very clear truth. Never, ever forget this. God fulfills his promises. Just because it doesn't happen in your timing doesn't mean he does not fulfill his promises. History is replete with the story after story after story that God fulfills his promises. Oh, what a profound and life-changing truth that is, church. He is not a liar. He is not powerless. He is not aloof. He is not operating in a yin and a yang world where evil is trying its best to win against an equally strong adversary. We do not live in a world governed by karma. First of all, that is a Hindu philosophy. That is not a Christian philosophy. God established a world where you reap what you sow. That's not karma. That's justice. That's how God established the world. There is not an involuntary force called karma governing anything. God is governing the world. And the birth of Isaac is a wonderful step forward in God's plan to heal this break. And all of God's promises are going to pass to Isaac. Not only, was I, not, not only was Isaac a child of promise because God would open Sarah's womb to conceive him, but we cannot miss this. Every single drop of God's promise for land, blessing, protection, uh, 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 people coming uh, to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, that is all going to be transferred to Isaac. However, Ishmael, he's still sitting over here. Ishmael, unlike Isaac, was not a child of promise, but by the flesh, by the works of man. Meaning Abraham and Sarah, they took matters into their own hands to fulfill God's promise for him. Anybody else try to do that? God, I'll pick this up for you. I'm not sure you could do this one. Good idea. Uh, I'll take it from here. Right? This is what Ishmael represents. See, uh, so, so here's what is said about Ishmael. If we look at Genesis chapter 16, verses 3 and 4 and 15, Ashland, I think these are up there. They're in two different things. It says in Genesis 16, look, notice what it says about Ishmael. It says uh, in verse 3, So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And then verse 15, And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Now listen to how it said, this isn't in there, sweetheart. Uh, this is what it says, no, notice the difference about how Isaac was born. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. 
And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abram a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Do you notice the difference? In Hagar's birth, there is no mention of the Lord in the conception and birth of Ishmael at all. Not even a hint of the Lord being in this. However, there are five references in two verses to the Lord in connection to Isaac's birth. This is on purpose, showing us something incredibly important. Isaac is a child of God's promise. Ishmael is a child of human effort. See, Isaac's birth brought great joy to Abraham's household. We do not know much about this early life. We only read that he grew up and was weaned. And so now let's see what happens between these two children of Isaac and Ishmael. And I'm going to read now verses 8 to 21 in Genesis 21. Okay, sweetheart? All right. So this picks up after... Verse, starting verse 8, and the child grew, that's Isaac, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of, Be of Beersheba. Verse 15, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child uh, uh, under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite, uh, opposite a good way off, about a distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look upon the death of my child. And she sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up! Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him in the land of Egypt. So Isaac, at this point, is most likely two to three years old, starting in verse 8. See, infant mortality rates were extremely high in this day and age. And just because Isaac was born didn't mean he was going to survive. So Isaac being weaned is a massive deal that our child's going to live. And so Abraham celebrates by throwing this massive feast. However, we read their joy doesn't last a real long time because uh, all of a sudden uh, Sarah notices that Ishmael is laughing at Isaac. And what this shows us, the context of the language, see what, what Ishmael is actually doing is kind of unclear. We don't really know. But the context of the verb, Ishmael was laughing, has this connotation of that, that, that he is, it's an abusive tone. Like it's, 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 it's more like he's mocking 
Isaac. He's abusing Isaac. One thing is clear. There is hostility between Ishmael and Isaac. And it draws the scorn of Sarah. Because Ishmael is around 15 years old at this point. As Abraham's oldest son, can you imagine though? He must have felt so slighted by this. He must have been so ticked that Isaac was born. He had a rightful claim to his father's inheritance. And now this little brat comes along. Whatever he was feeling, it led him to treat Isaac really poorly. In fact, in Galatians chapter 4, Paul writing about this moment says that actually Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. And it's interesting to note, though, that in chapter 16, verse 12 of Genesis, that God tells Hagar that her son is going to be a wild donkey of a man and that his hand is going to be against everyone. So he's kind of a jerk. 15-year-olds can be jerks, right? So Sarah comes to Abraham and says, you got to get rid of her. you got to get rid of her and you got to get rid of that son because that son is not going to have anything to do with my boy or inherit any of the promise. And as you can imagine, this brings distress to Abraham. This is Abraham's son, after all. And he found it very displeasing. I mean, Abraham loved his son. He already had appealed to God to let the promise pass to him. And the thought of casting him away must have been a nightmare for Abraham. However, God comes again to Abraham and says, don't be displeased by what your wife is asking you. In fact, send him and her away. I'll take care of them, but you send them away. And verse 14, can you imagine this, fathers? He gets up early in the morning. I would have waited till noon. <laughs> he gets up early in the morning and he sends them off into the wilderness. Now, sending someone off into the wilderness is not like sending someone off to, you know, Blockton. This is the wilderness, no shelter, just a skin of, of water. There's wild animals. Like, you're setting them off to death, essentially. Can you imagine doing this? What heartbreak and anguish for all involved, but why? I can understand why Sarah wants them gone, but why does God want him gone? Don't miss that. God wants Ishmael gone. Why? Why does he command Abraham to do what Sarah wants? This does not sound like a loving action of a loving God to send a teenage boy away with a helpless mom who's, who's a slave with no rights. Why did he do this? What is going on here? See, what God initiate, when God initiated his call and promise to Abraham, he was acting in history to heal the break that sin had caused between him and his world. And each aspect of the narratives throughout Genesis reveal forward movement in that promise. Therefore, we must remember the difference between Isaac and Ishmael and the part they play in God's redemption. Isaac is a child of promise. Ishmael is a child of human effort. We must take this into account and the role of each mother, a slave and a free woman. Consider the way each came to be. Ishmael was born through the concocted plan of Abraham and Sarah. They took a servant girl, married her to Abraham. Together they had him. They took matters into their own hands. They did not wait on the Lord. They wanted to accomplish God's plan without God, with no mention of the Lord in, their, in his birth. Isaac, on the other hand, was promised by God, conceived by the power of God to a woman who could have no children. 
His birth was only made possible by God's blessing. And, he was, and, and Isaac was born to a free woman. So what is this telling us? It is a powerful lesson for us throughout the scriptures. And don't miss this. Redemption is accomplished by God himself, not by our effort. Redemption is accomplished by God himself, not by our effort. And what God is doing here with real people is saying, trusting in me and trusting in your works cannot live together. They can't live in the same place. They've got, your, these works need to be cast into the wilderness. Cast them away. Just like these two brothers can't exist, they are hostile to one another. God has established how he will redeem his people and overcome sin. And our role is not to take matters into our own hands, but to trust that God took matters into his own hands. This is powerful. And God... You know, years earlier in building a covenant with Abraham, where God again reestablishes his promises, takes animals in Genesis 15. They cut them in half and they split the animals side by side, which was an ancient way to make a contract. And two people were to walk through those animals saying, if I break the contract, slaughter me like these animals were slaughtered. You remember what happens there? God doesn't allow Abraham to walk between the animals. God himself walks between the animals. He said, I've made a covenant with you that I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you protection. I'm going to give you blessing. I'm going to redeem the whole world through you, Abraham. And oh, by the way, you can't fulfill this. I'm going to do it for you. And I will even bear the burden of your unfaithfulness. And so, and so we see that God is saying, you've got to send. Like, I don't want any confusion. I am not, in, God is literally, like, think about this for you. God is not interested in you earning anything before him. Our world works differently, right? We talk about that. You got to work hard in life, right? This isn't saying we don't work to work hard. Like, we want to work hard in life. But we can't bring that before Almighty God. God says you can't earn it in front of me. You can't redeem yourself. Your brokenness is too, too, too deep. The gap between us is too wide. You can only find salvation in me and my work and in my promises. You cannot rely on your own effort. You got to cast that out of you. Cast that out of your life. Put nothing in. You're, this is one of the beautiful things about Christianity. Religion, that this isn't my view, uh, I love one of my favorite apologists, a guy named John Lennox. Guy has two PhDs, teaches at, I think, Cambridge. He's, in a fa he's a brilliant man, and he goes all around the world and teaches about Christianity. And one of the things he said is so profound. He goes, one of the things that is so compelling about Christianity is religion says acceptance comes at the end. You work, 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 and hopefully God will accept you. Christianity Acceptance comes at the beginning. And from that, we live the rest of our life, which coincidentally makes our works much richer and much more beautiful. It is one thing to work to earn rest. It is another thing to work from rest. And the Christian message is God is not interested in you trying to earn a darn 
nothing. Because the only thing you and I are going to earn is judgment. And yet Jesus comes. Jesus comes and he bears the punishment that we deserved. As we head into, look at Genesis 21, we see Hagar and Ishmael being sent away. The nature of God's people is established and secured because God's people rely on God's promise, not their own work. This is a hard message for us in this culture. Because one thing we don't want to say is, we, we got, like, we're created to work and to work for the glory of God. But when it comes to our salvation before God, you can't earn that. And you aren't born deserving God's, God's blessings either. And we know that. We feel we got to overcome it. No, no. God's people rely on God's promise. The child of human effort and the child of promise will never dwell together. God will continue his redemptive work through Isaac, and we, he will make a royal nation that uniquely belongs to him. And 400 years later, these people do get the land. And eventually, all families of the earth will be blessed through this line. Because you know who comes from this line? Through Abraham comes Isaac. From Isaac comes Jacob, we're going to read. From Jacob comes these 12 sons. From these 12 sons come the nation of Israel. From the nation of Israel comes Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who was put out for us to bear the weight of God's condemnation on our behalf because God promised he would redeem us. God promised he would save us. God promised he would make all things new. God promised he would be our God and we would be his people. God promised the gap between sin and us would be forever closed and that is closed through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who did it all for us. And it is through Christ all the nations of the earth will be blessed because the church is made up of people hearing the call of grace from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Gathered around the throne because redemption is found by relying on God's promise in Christ and his work, not our work. This is the fundamental essence of biblical Christianity. Christianity is not about giving you a moralism. It is not about giving you a neat little shot in the arm every week. It is not about pursuing mindless religious tasks and you have no idea why. It is about a real God who sent a real Savior to redeem a real people who simply, joyfully claim, the Lord has made laughter for me because I was lost and now I'm found. I was far from God and He has brought me back to Himself. And I don't sing or come to church or read my scriptures or want to live differently in the world because I'm earning something. It's because He has made me something new. And the only claim that we will have before the Father on the day of our judgment is not one that says, here is my stuff, God. Here's the old ladies I helped across the street. Here's the number of days I read my Bible, God. Here's the number of days I didn't drop an F word when I really wanted to. Here's the number, you know, 
No, all the believer is going to do is not reluctantly, but joyfully when we're standing before Almighty God and he, he looks at us, we're just going to go, don't accept me because of me. I'm appealing to Jesus. He did my work. He paid my price. He gave me life. He gave me grace. And he is more than enough. I'm placing everything on him. And you know what the scriptures say in the book of Jude? That on that day for all those who have placed their faith in Jesus, it says that he will present us before himself without blemish and with great joy. With great, your God delights in you. He delights in the bride that he purchased. He delights, uh, yes, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And that was a very real suffering. He was broken. He was mocked. He was judged. The father turns the back on his own son and all the weight of the sin. That was very real. But he did it all for the joy of the bride he purchased. When we trust in Christ, we become a son of Sarah, a child of promise, like Isaac. When we rely on our own efforts and our own religious works or being a good person, we are a child of Hagar, a child of human effort. And all our works will get us is cast away from God and his people. But trusting in Christ and his work, we are brought near to God. And our works are meant to spring from this great gift, not to earn it. And so I just have one question for us today. Whose son are you? I can't answer that for you. That's, a, that's something you have to do between you and, and the Lord. What are you relying on? Some of you in here are crushed by a broken, train-wrecked past. And you look back, and you thought it was a great path, and all of a sudden you hit this point, and you're like, all I've done is create carnage and wreckage behind me. And you're going to come to a couple different conclusions. Number one, I'm going to have to work my butt off to overcome that. And you realize pretty quickly, I can't. It's like trying to climb up out of a hill that's, while it's raining and all there is is mud and you can't climb up. Number two, you might just be hopeless and go, forget it, I'm on a highway to hell. And you're singing the ACDC song, thinking you're going to have a great end to that. Or number three, you can hit your knees and recognize God has purchased something for you and can fully redeem you and cover that past. Secure your future and walk with you now towards that future. Whose son are you? Are you Hagar's son, relying on your own works and effort, or are you Sarah's son, solely relying on the work and promise of Christ? One will get you cast away. One will bring you near to God. This passage and the rest clearly show that God's people are those who rely on God and not themselves. And I pray if you are found as a son of Isaac or a son of Hag uh, son of Sarah, that your salvation 
genuinely brings you laughter. I pray you are not a reluctant worshiper. That you see the depth of what you have been redeemed from and the wealth of what you've been redeemed to. And that you can't help but go, God has given laughter for me. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your son. And God, thank you for giving laughter to your people. God, I'm very thankful that you have not given us a bunch of rules to follow and then set back and go, I hope you make it. But instead, Father, you have given us your law to drive us to the Savior. The law shows us, God, that we are incapable of following you. And, oh, God, I pray that doesn't crush us into hopelessness, but that it drives us to the real hope of Christ who came and satisfied the law, was perfect in every way that we are not, and gave his life as a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And I pray that all of us would have placed all of our hope faith and trust in your work and in you and in all of your promises and that we don't seek to bring anything to the table of salvation but our need. Knowing that God, when we are found to have faith in you, you completely redeem us, securing our future, walking with us in our present and forever covering our past. By grace we have been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. Thank you for that redemption. May we all be found to be a son of Sarah and not of Hagar. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.